Good morning. morning. (laughs) Somebody's in trouble, and I'm not sure if it's you or me. I was told I would probably get on about quarter of 11. It is now quarter after 11, (laughs) and I could go till 1130. Uh, I'm not sure who's in trouble, but one or the other of us is, I think. Uh, I have a request and uh, then a confession. The request is I'm really struggling with what exactly to share with you this morning. Uh, You have to understand how exciting it is to be with a group like you. Number one, there's so many young people, and I'm here to get you. I don't know if you know that or not, but that is my single mission today. And I'm going to have some of you. I'm I'm just confident of that. also to know just who you are, the, the things that you believe, the things that you love, the things that you embrace in terms of truth. Uh, I said to one man this morning after the Sunday school hour, there aren't that many of us. Now, there's more than there used to believe, believe me. Uh, I've been around since the early 70s when you talked about the doctrines of grace or election or Calvinism or any of those kind of words, and people look like you just gotten off a spaceship from Mars. So there's lots more of us than there used to be, but the thing that excites me is uh, uh, there aren't many of you as churches, there aren't many of us as ministries that are rooted and established in those truths, and we need to get together, quite frankly. I'm just convinced of that. So I'm excited to be here. I'm excited for the opportunity. I, I thank you for the invitation, and I just I want you to know what's kind of going on in my heart. I know what I have to share. I know all the kinds of things I could be talking about, and I'm just not sure where to focus. The confession is some of you have already seen part of the presentation. (laughs) If you were looking at the screen, I've got one of these newfangled presenters that allows me to control the computer from up here. I sat on it, and I think it started it. So you saw a couple of these pictures while other things were going on. For that, I apologize. I just have to realize where to put this, and I guess it's my shirt pocket. I'm going to take a couple of seconds to introduce myself and my wife. Uh, We're the tall ones in the back. Well, I'm the tall one in the back. She's next to me. Uh, My three sons and daughter and daughter-in-law, three boys. Uh, The youngest and oldest are still single. The middle is married. They're kneeling on the ground. Uh, Jeanette was Canadian-born. And then my daughter is sitting on the ground, and her husband, Jeremiah, is my claim to fame. He came to Bucknell, where we live in Lewisburg, and played basketball on a scholarship. He's 6'9", and uh, I thought immediately that he needed to meet my daughter. So I arranged it, (laughs) and I make no apologies. He got invited to Thanksgiving dinner. She just happened to be home on break, and they have given us our first grandchild three months ago. This is Connor, and I think he's the one you saw. Uh, then we also have a second one that was just born a few weeks ago. This is Jackson, my married son, and his wife presented him to us a couple of weeks ago. So we're pretty excited about them. I want you to hear a statistic that you may not know. A couple of things that I shared in the Sunday School Hour I just want to review There are, generally speaking, 6 billion people on this planet. What most of us don't realize is that still one-third of them, over one-third of them, have never heard the gospel. It's not like Alabama or Pennsylvania or other places in the world where there is literally a church on every corner. 
we as a ministry target those places. That's our reason for existence. We go where the gospel has never, not just in a person's lifetime that's living now, but in the history of their culture, the gospel has never been heard. I shared in the Sunday school hour kind of our theme verse of Romans 15, 20, 21. As Paul said, it was his ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. That's still true of over a third of our planet. I shared the statistic this morning. 90% of all current missionaries go to 10% of the world. That means there's lots of missionaries all in the same place and there's lots of places where there are no missionaries. We believe what we do is Supported biblically, I shared in the Sunday school hour, Malachi's promise that Christ's name would be great among the nations. That's not just talking about the nation of the United States, the nation of Canada, the nation of Mexico, the nation of Japan. Nations in the New Testament is ethnos, it's ethnicities. In New Guinea, one of the places we work, there are 880 ethnicities in one country. That means they have their own culture, their own language. We believe this promise is for all of them. And we believe based on the truth of God's word that Jesus Christ died for them. And he has a people in every nation, every ethnicity. Revelation 5, that with his blood he purchased, accomplished. He did it. Some one of the men read, it is finished. We don't have to go out and get them saved, thank God. God's already done that in the person of His Son. We have to introduce them to Him and the Gospel. And the Spirit of God draw them to Himself. So we get the privilege we often talk about. Not the responsibility, not the duty, not the obligation, not even the sacrifice in one sense of going to the nations and proclaiming the fame of Jesus Christ. And it is a great privilege. Um, I'm not exactly sure all that I have here. Oh, some missionary martyrs you ought to know about. James Chalmers, the first white man to ever go to New Guinea, about 1877, had, I think, 24, 25, 26 years of ministry, uh, was walking into a spirit house that if, we, if I don't get stoned off the pulpit, I may show you a little video of our trip in February to New Guinea, a spirit house like we were in. As he was going in, he was hit over the head with a club. His head was cut off. He was cooked, clothes and all, with sago root. And he was eaten like a pig. They said natives came out of the hills from surrounding tribes in the same clan just to get a taste of that white missionary. Months after he was killed... They could be found chewing on the soles of his shoes. Those are the kinds of places we go to. I told you James Chalmers was the first white man. He was preceded in New Guinea by probably a decade or more by the Fijians. Any of you have ever heard of the Fijians, the Fiji Islands? Uh, God converted a group of these Polynesian people out of cannibalism. A lot of people don't know that. It's just a resort area now. 
And immediately they were captivated with the idea, we need to go share this gospel. And who do we go to? And they chose New Guinea because they knew they were just like them. They had been saved from the same things. And so they went to having just been cannibals, two cannibals, knowing they would be killed. Not a question of if. They knew who they were going. They just, they'd been just like them. And you know what they did? They built their own coffins. And they did it because they knew they were going to certain death. And they packed their belongings into those coffins. And went to the shores of New Guinea and the first wave or two were completely wiped out. You know you all sing a dangerous song. I hope you realize and understand some of the things that you sing. I want to die so you can live. Is that just the sentiments of a little scripture song that you can sing on a Sunday morning? Or is that the reality of your experience in Jesus Christ? Because we don't talk about dying in the future sense as Christians. you understand that? We've already died in Christ. Amen? If you've come to Christ genuinely, not just with a testimony, not just with a statement of faith, not just with a signing of a... If you have genuinely come to Christ, you're a dead man or woman. And you're dead to self. You're certainly dead to sin, praise God. Romans 6, it no longer reigns over us. Oh, it still affects us. But it doesn't control us or it doesn't have to. We've died to sin, but we've died to self. We've died to this world. We, You know, you are such a particular, peculiar group, Paul calls us. Or Peter. Peculiar people, and we are. We're just oddballs. I loved watching you come forward this morning. I was in a black um, conference a few years ago. A man by the name of D.J. Ward in Louisville, Kentucky. Lex- Lexington, Kentucky. And the, the one thing they do, the, the Monday night of the concert, they have a song fast. And the choir comes in, marches down the front. But they do what you do for communion for their offering. They put the offering plate in the front and they just file out of the pews and they come forward. I loved watching you because I thought, what a peculiar looking group of people. What a bunch of odd looking people. Because do you understand what you did? You identified with Christ. You stood up, I hope most if not all of you, and you were unashamed to stand up and come forward and partake You want an experience? Share communion with a cannibal. Try that on once. Talk to him about John 6. You know that John 6 says, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. You know what that means to a cannibal? You know why cannibals are cannibals? Cannibals are cannibals for the same reasons our Plains Indians took scalps. Exactly the same philosophy. They believed that any warrior that was worthy of of coming to battle and being fought against and slain, that was a great man with great things 
strength and virtue and honor and, and power. And when you killed him and ate him, in the case of a cannibal, or cut off his scalp, in the case of a Plains Indian, you received all of those things to yourself. Can you understand why communion really means something to a cannibal? They know what it means to identify with Christ. Even more, they know what it means for Christ to have identified with them. And they're not ashamed of declaring him in, at the table, eating his flesh, drinking his blood. The evidence we've died. We died. We didn't kill and get virtue. We died. Someone died for us and gave us all that we are and made us all that we are. Well, that's the Fijians. They, again, long story. You know, the Ecuador Five, and, and uh, I won't even take time there. Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, Paul talks about eagerly expecting and hoped, hoping that he would in no way be ashamed, but would have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ would be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Are you catching the theme of the New Testament? Are you hearing the reoccurring words of death and martyrdom? And it's not just missionary talk. It's not just for pastors and really special saved people. It's not the extreme. It's the norm of New Testament Christianity. This idea of death and dying and martyrdom is Christianity. Anything less, what does Christ say over and over again? Unless you take up your cross and follow me, and that's not your Aunt Henrietta that talks too much. (laughs) Oh, she's just my cross to bear. No, she's not. It has nothing to do with that. It's dying to self. It's dying to this world. How much of that do we understand? I so appreciate John Piper. I wear a little medal around my neck with his image. No, I don't really. (laughs) I think he's the patron saint of a lot of people. I actually wear a little necklace I got from New Guinea if you'd like to see it. His book, Don't Waste Your Life, just knocks me out. And he says, you know, life and death are a gift. That's the, I've kind of summarized it. I have to apologize to him. I didn't get a chance to last time we were there. David, uh, with our ministry, spoke last year at Piper's Conference, and that's where we met your dear pastor. But uh, didn't have time to, to tell him I, I might be uh, brutalizing his book. But in my attempt to summarize it, that's his first premise. This thing we have called life is a gift. And I just changed it a little bit when I talk to groups like you. I just like to put it in the form of a simple question. And this morning I want to challenge you with the same question. Why are you here? Do you think? And I'm not talking about church. You know, it's Sunday morning, 11 o'clock or whatever. That's where I'm all. I don't mean that. And I don't mean, you know, while I live in, uh, where are we at? <laughs> Jacksonville. You have to forgive me. I'm, I'm, I'm way past jet lag. I'm jet dumb at this point. So. 
We've been so many places in the last month. I'm not talking about where you live or where you work. Why are you here? Though those are great questions to ask yourself. You aren't in either of those places by accident. The school that you go to, the classmates, the roommates, the workmates, the neighbors, none of those are by accident. God put you there on purpose. But I'm asking it in an even simpler sense. Why are you here this morning? When you laid your head down in your pillow last night, why did God allow you to get up this morning? Because that's the only reason you're here and I'm here. I take about 10 pills a day. My son and daughter-in-law are involved in a company and they're feeding me vitamins. I think they want to keep me around. I'm not sure. But you know, with all the vitamins, all the things that we try to do, there's not one thing we can do to sustain life, to lengthen it. I don't care what. I watched the movie uh, Island a little bit ago. My son-in-law gave it to me that I can spend some time on the plane. And all the kinds of things that you see modern science trying to come up with to sustain life and create life, there's only one thing you can say about life. It's a gift. And it's a gift from a gracious God. I spent 23 years pastoring a church in Pennsylvania. In that 23 years, I buried two of my deacons in their 30s. Both essentially the same scenario. They went to bed and they never got up. One at night, one in the afternoon. So when you laid your head down in your pillow last night, why did God give you the privilege, the gift of getting up? And John Piper's answer, so that you and I might display the supreme worth of Jesus Christ. It's that simple. That's what we're here for. If you're a Christian, it's the only reason. And yet as Christians, if we're honest, all of us, if not all of us, certainly most of us, I certainly have to convince, what are, what are we here for? And we, we look around and we think, is it because we get jobs and, and you know, we graduate from school, we, we get a good degree, we get a good job, we earn a good salary so we can buy a house or two and have two or three cars and maybe a vacation and put money in the bank for the thing that I am just almost getting sick of hearing about preparing for the future. Are you kidding me? I mean, are you kidding me? That's what the world's here for. What do we need with that? Secure futures. He died. That's all the security I need. Amen? He died for me. He's not going to take care of me. Whether I live in Lewisburg or New Guinea or Mexico or... Who are we kidding? What is wrong with us? We have bought the world's lie. And we live for it, if we're honest. We sacrifice for it, if we're honest. And it captures us. It sucks us in. I'm 57. I'm hoping I've got a few more years. I want them to mean something. And please don't misunderstand me. I'm not, I'm not even remotely suggesting that a person 
who doesn't go somewhere for mission isn't a Christian. Just the opposite. I want you to redefine mission. It's not overseas. You said you wanted to die so he could live. That's mission. Your workplace, your home, your community. We just thank God we get the privilege of going where we go. We thank God we get the privilege of taking many, many people like you, exactly like you. In the past 10, 12 years now, almost 2,000 people have gone on our mission trips and watched their lives change. One of our favorite people of all time comes from Indiana and he says, a little DVD we used to have, he said, if you don't want your life wrecked, Don't go on a mission trip. (laughs) Because it has a way of doing it. It changes you outside. It changes you inside. Hopefully. And for many of us, including myself, we hear about things like this, opportunities like this. The first thing that comes to our mind is, I don't have enough money. Nonsense. You don't have to worry about money if God's called you somewhere. I'm not saying that we, we don't use our heads But I'm saying that's not going to stop him from getting you where he wants you to be. In fact, some of the things I love the most is when we get our groups together and we hear their stories about how God enabled them to get there. Of course you don't have any money. People say, well, if I went, what could I do? I can't do anything. Of course you can't. That's so he gets all the glory. Don't you understand that? We're not looking for qualified people, special people, you know, the, the, the people with the most talent. We're looking for people who want to spread the fame of Christ. And the privilege of doing that. And you do it by treasuring Him above all other things and you treasure Him most by what you're most willing to give up in order to have more of Him. That's what I understood John Piper to be saying. And I loved it. So that's our emphasis. This was kind of my quick review for those of you that may not have been here for the Sunday school. We're church planners. We go to places where the gospel's never gone. We target them. We don't want to go where there's other people or other churches. There's lots of people doing that already. We seek out unreached places, primarily in Mexico and New Guinea. We use short-term mission trips to help open up these areas. Some groups, as many as 100 or more. Others as small as a half a dozen or so from one church. We go to Mexico through March and November, almost year-round. We go to New Guinea basically for the month of February each year. That's where David, who I work for, lived for 16 years. And we go back and visit churches that have been established and try to open up new areas. And then we've just begun a school to train others to do what we do. We call it the CPCP, Center for Pioneer Church Planning. As people began to go with us and as we prayed for God to send more people our way, He began doing it. So we needed something, we needed a place, we needed a program, a a curriculum. And we started that in January of this year and two weeks ago, I don't know if I have their picture. Nope. Two weeks ago we graduated our first five students. Eight month program. We anticipate our second session to start up in January of this year, from January to August. So just as a personal encouragement, we need you all. I tell people all the time, I don't apologize. 
for standing and asking because I don't think it's any accident you're here, number one, or that I am. First and foremost, before anything, we need you just to pray for us. We're growing at a pace that we just almost can't handle. It's, it's kind of maybe like you all feel, possibly, with your, your numbers, your facility. We're just not sure the next step. We just know that as God leads us, we're excited to take it. So pray for us. Pray for us as, as a ministry, TETM. Pray for and ask how you personally might be able to help. We need everyone and anyone that can do anything. We've got so many needs we can't, uh, we can't begin to even list them all. We'd encourage you to consider a short-term mission trip, maybe to New Guinea or Mexico. We're going to talk with your pastor later on today about that. You can w- visit our website. It's really hard. It's our name, toeverytribe.com. And then obviously, we're always in need of financial support as individuals. We, we raise our own support as a ministry. I tell people, I do not apologize and, and, and standing in front of you and asking for your money. I want your money. It's that simple. Because I know a secret. It's not your money. Not a dime of it. It's his money. And he's going to see how you're going to use it. As Piper said, that you might use daily what God's given us to show the world around us that it's not my God He is. You use your home to show the neighborhood this isn't my God. Christ is. You use your possessions. You use your income, your resources. You use your lives to demonstrate to a lost world so that Peter will become true and he says be ready, always ready with an answer for the faith that lies in you when somebody asks you. And as Piper so pointedly put in his book, has anybody asked you recently? Me either. And could it be because we look just like the rest of the world in the way that we live and act? And maybe not you. I'm not going to presume on the Christian life that you're living, but I have to confess in my own life it's too often true You couldn't tell me from a non-Christian if I picked me out in a crowd. Something's wrong with that. I don't think we're to be insensitive. I don't think we're to be oddballs. But the reality of peculiarity, the uniqueness of who we are in Christ, what He's called us to, should be making our everyday decisions different from the world. I'm convinced of that. It's 11.40. I've got about a 10-minute video. I'll show it if you'll stay. If you don't, I don't have to show it. I don't care in one sense. I'd love to show it. Uh, You need to walk out, and if you've got an appointment or if you've got to go somewhere, you leave, and you will not offend me at all. But show this if you would. I'll just kind of narrate it uh, as we go. And this is something, uh, for those of you especially that weren't in the Sunday school hour, this is something of, of what we do. This would be our trip in February in New Guinea. And uh, to get there is a, kind of an experience in itself. You fly 30 hours, you go through, I think, six different time zones. So it takes about two days just to catch up with yourself before you really get into ministry work. We fly into Port Moresby in the south of New Guinea. Then we made our way up with another flight to Wewak, 
And it's really from there that this all starts, if that's going to cooperate. Looks like maybe it is. This is a, a truck we got into. We were loading our gear in the afternoon, but it came back and picked us up at 2 a.m. And we rode for six hours through the night, from 2 in the morning till 8 in the morning, to get to the river to pick up a 40-foot canoe with a 45-horsepower motor on it and ride four hours down the river to Chambry Island. At one point, we had 21 people, all of our gear, and a 55-gallon drum of fuel in one canoe. You sit Indian style for four hours, and you, you fully appreciate that verse making your calling and election sure. <laughs> this is Chambri Lake. It looks calm as a mirror right now, but the reason you go in the morning is so you get this kind of water. Later on in the day, the winds pick up. It becomes so rough you can't get across. That's Chambri Island, and this is a spirit house in the, in the village of Indigai where we spent three or four days. These are the places where only the initiated men of the tribe are allowed to go in. They put on a special ceremony. There's a whole long story about Chambri that I don't have time to tell you, but they allowed us to go in after a ceremony of sorts. And even our women went in. Uh, the women in the village can, have never been inside this on penalty of death. This is my good friend Mark playing the drums up front. They have these long tribal names, but then they take English names. And there's a Mark, and there's an Aaron, and a Bob, and again, lots of stories about these guys. Probably uh, only two short generations ago, they would have been headhunting people. I could show you three stones right near the spirit house where they used to drape the bodies of their headless victims. They're still blood-soaked to this day. They're coming to get us, to bring us in as a group. Again, this is a very special honor. And one of the reasons I like to show you this, in the back of this little crowd, you're going to see an older woman in a blue dress right there. Her name is Rosa. She's a sorceress on the island. And again, there's an amazing story about a power encounter that God used to change the whole spiritual climate that involves Rosa. She gets a little excited when the drums start to beat. That's David sitting the first one in. I'll, I'm going to be kind of the second one with the camera. Praying fervently as I'm filming. I'm going to keep this going as long as they allow me. This would have been exactly where James Chalmers would have had his head cut off as he bent down to go through that opening about a hundred years ago. Inside the spirit house, the men are broken up into particular clans and they sit on these benches. These are called kirtamit drums. They're made out of about eight foot logs. And this is the way they used to communicate across the islands. These are instruments they call flutes. They really don't sound like many flutes that I've ever heard, but 
These would be things that would be involved in their ceremonies and their rituals, from anything to helping with success in fishing, to back in their headhunting days, victory in battle. As recently as 2001, there were only four believers in this particular village. We now have a church of about 100. And again, I'd love to tell you the story of how God brought that to pass. If you can believe it, it involved 9-11 in the States. And maybe with the group tonight, we can share some of those stories and then you all can pass them on to others. But I love this. It's, it's from the darkness to the light. It's from the spirit house to the body of the redeemed. And how many of you know Jesus Christ changes you outside as well as inside? Do you see the difference? You can see it on their faces. You can see it in their eyes. Carlton, we get you there and we'll let you preach and David will translate for you. And it's a tremendous experience. I tell you what, we could stop right there. There's other video. I'm just, I don't want to impose on your time. Again, I so thank you for allowing me to be here. I look forward to, we hope, a long relationship. Uh, we've got so much more we want to share and, and so many opportunities that we think we can give to you. And we just trust God will direct us in that. Carlton, I'm going to let you close as, as you'd like.